I'm your host, Bree. Thanks for listening. The Tea with Bree podcast is focused on deep, honest, and vulnerable conversation. Each week, I sit down with a different guest in order to have those conversations. Each week, we'll start with my guest bio, an intro to how we know each other, and then we'll go into a deep dive conversation about whatever topic it is that they bought to me that week. A special thanks to Capital Factory in Austin, Texas, which is where this episode is being recorded. This week, I'm joined by my guest, Melanie Dyer. Hi. Hello. I'm going to read your bio, but I'm also really excited that you're here. (laughs) Mel, a licensed professional counseling intern, which is a long title, but essentially means she's a licensed mental health professional, another long title, (laughs) working under the supervision of a board-approved supervisor. She works in Austin, Texas, where she's lived for the last five years. Originally, she's from Napa, California, where she grew up frolicking through vineyards, which is not entirely a joke. (laughs) She started her journey toward becoming a mental health professional around 2012 when she decided she wanted to be a school counselor. Since then, her career path has gone through some changes, but she has always remained incredibly passionate about providing accessible mental health services for folks who need them. Through working at nonprofit agencies, she was exposed to the stark reality that most people who could benefit from therapy, which if you ask her as everyone, can't afford it. But she also started to realize just how many people still think of therapy as something you only attend if you're quote-unquote crazy or quote-unquote weak. So she started thinking of ways that she could push back against those notions in the podcast, but Have You Considered Therapy was born. When she's not therapizing, she's usually doing Zumba or reading for a book club or volunteering as a board member for the NLC Austin chapter. Check it out if you're interested in progressive politics. Or teaching a body-positive meditation at Austin's first anti-diet gym space, Autonomy Movement, or hanging with her friends or boyfriend. She loves to see movies, cook, read, swim, and play with dogs. She believes that life needs to be nurtured from all angles, and she works hard to make her life as full as possible. Hello, friend. Hi. This is probably the funniest <laughs> frolicking and vineyard sounds it to like be a goal. Punchy. I, listen, take me to Napa so I can frolic through vineyards. Right. Uh, that's like one of my retirement dreams is to own a bar, mm. but I want to like own it like in a very like smaller town so I can go to like different breweries and like yeah. hang out with the people and just go to vineyards and pick the grapes. Uh, a Napa dream. might be the place for you. Uh, that sounds great. I'm excited. Well, first, thanks for coming on. I'm very excited to talk to you. I feel like we don't hang out that much. I know, we don't. We go to we NLC, s- I see you on the weekend. We <laughs> see like, each other under official capacities. Yeah. Well, we can hang out more. We you could. live near me. I know. <laughs> it's funny because um, your boyfriend and I are doing karaoke stuff I know, this you, weekend. Are, you guys like, are going to see each other more than I actually see you. <laughs> we'll change that. We'll change it. Mm-hmm. I promise. Um, anything else you want to say about yourself before we dive into the topic today? We talked about how you got into therapy because you wanted to be a school counselor. So 
Is that what you went to school for originally? Yeah, so my MA is actually in school counseling, mm -hmm. um, which is, it's a very similar program to clinical counseling. There's just like a couple classes that are added that kind of teach you about working in a school. Um, but the reason that I didn't end up being a school counselor is because, um, so I did my master's degree online and about halfway through my degree program, I moved to Texas um, without really doing any research on like what... <laughs> school counseling looks like in Texas mm -hmm. and turns out you have to be a teacher for two years before they'll let you be a school counselor. What? Um, yeah, I think it's some like, and I'm not totally sure if this is correct, but I think I heard that it's this like leftover thing from when they had like a teacher shortage where they were essentially trying to like bully people into being teachers. Got it. Um, and I hate teaching, uh, turns out. So I, you know, was kind of left with this decision of like, do I want to you know, essentially go to, like, another year of school because I'd have to get a teaching certification, pay all that money, do this profession that I don't really want to do right. for two years just so I can be a school counselor. And, you know, frankly, when I was doing my internship for school counseling, I really realized how little FaceTime school counselors actually get with students, mm -hmm. um, at least at, like, a Title I school, which is where I was. Um, it might be different at, like, small private school, sure. but I was at a large elementary school with you know, 400 students and one school counselor. So cool. yeah, it's great. Um, she was amazing. She's a great counselor, but you know, she's one person yeah. and she that actually, ratio sounds great. 400 to one. Uh, right. It's perfect. Great. It's an ideal ratio. Yeah. And it, yeah, she actually told me, she was like, Oh, I love it when I have interns because like then the kids actually get like to see a counselor because that's all I did. Yeah. I like was there to like see kids. Um, and so yeah, so it was kind of, I was already a little bit disillusioned with the uh, profession anyway. And then when that came up, I was like, well, shit, like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't, can I swear on this podcast? Oh, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Please. Everyone always asks, like, have you met me? I know. Um, and yeah, I was just, I was kind of like, man, I don't think I want to do this anymore. Um, so I was kind of faced with a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of an identity crisis yeah. and had to decide like, hey, do I want to just go in a totally different direction yeah. and like not do counseling at all um, or do I want to kind of go the clinical route and eventually decided on the clinical route and um, took uh, the national counselor examination which is called the NCE it's a 200 question test thing that you have to do to get licensed um, got my provisional license which is LPC intern and then started seeing people and I really like it and I'm really glad I did it I love that I also think uh, back on episode 8 uh, Cassidy, who we both know, mm -hmm. um, we talked about like what it takes to become a therapist. But what you just said made me think about that episode. Could you talk about like the hoops people have to jump through to, in order to become a therapist? It's and how a it's lot. Very expensive. It's a very long education process. You have to like have all these hours and everything else. I think that made me think about that. Like you wanted to be in a school, but you would have had to become a teacher first mm -hmm. and like, do this next thing. And it's just like putting all these barriers in the way to like want to just help people. So. There are a lot of barriers and it's hard. It's a hard um, route to go, especially if you don't have like a lot of financial support. Right. Um, there were plenty of times in my grad program and since where my parents like propped me up because, you know, not only do you have all this grad student debt, but the average LPC intern makes like $40,000 a year. Um, so I don't know, that's not an official number, but colloquially, anecdotally, yeah. I think that's about right. So um, 
yeah, it's not for everybody. You know, if I had a kid or something, like right. I couldn't do this. Like, yeah, if it wasn't just you, or yeah, just it's you just a part or two like income household. Right, right. exactly. So, um, yeah, no, there are tons of barriers, and there, I mean, there have been plenty of times when I've just been like. What if I just went into software sales? <laughs> what if I just yeah. gave it all up and did something where I could make a bunch of money? And it's crossed yeah. my mind many times, but at least for now, I really like what I'm doing. Right. I really enjoy the work. It's very fulfilling. So it, that's that's keeping me afloat. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I mean, I, I used to work at a nonprofit. I'd be like, listen, I am money poor, but I'm soul rich. Yes. Which is great until like you're like, Shit, rents due again right now. Huh? Right, like, <laughs> yeah. trying to do numbers like, damn. It. Yeah, so yeah. you get to a point where you might have to really sit make a, with make a choice with that. But um, but I'm also you know as you advance in the profession, you have more opportunities to make more money, and um, you know if you get into private practice, it can actually be pretty lucrative. So, yeah. um, yeah. What kind of therapy are you doing right now? I see um adults mm-hmm. only, and I see individuals and couples. Um which has been cool. I didn't have any experience with couples until I started my most recent job, which I've been at for a little over a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm actually going to be starting running a group soon, too, Woo! which is very exciting. And so I'll get experience in that as well. Um, but, yeah, right now, just individuals and couples. Couples are really interesting. <laughs> How so? <laughs> well, it's two people shit in the room, right? Yep. <laughs> you know, and so it's like, and and when you're a couples counselor, you're not you're not counseling these people individually mm. about their stuff. Like yeah. the client is the relationship. Ooh, so interesting. yeah, okay. so you're working within that framework, um, and it's a lot of just like practical application of skills. Like it's a lot less about like tell me about how yeah. you know, your your mother treated you when you were in trouble. And it's more about like, okay, she's saying that she doesn't feel heard when she's complaining about work. So I need you to turn to her and look in her eyes as she tells you this and hold her hand and like say things like, I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> um, because not everybody gets yeah. that, you know, it, it sounds kind of silly and it sounds Not everyone kind has of, the skill of active listening. Absolutely not. Yeah. And some people... Plenty of people are really frustrated because they're like, I am listening. I am hearing it. But, you know, if your partner doesn't feel that way, um, then sometimes you need a little coaching. And so um, couples therapy is a lot of that. It's a lot of, like, coaching. It's a lot of skills building versus individual therapy, which can have some of that, but is a lot of also, like, processing and, um, like, trauma recovery and stuff like that. When we were preparing for this, you were telling me the type of therapy, and I can't remember now. It's like person-centered. Yeah, so I haven't really landed on a modality. That's um, what it is, okay. Yeah, I haven't really landed on one that I, like, fully subscribe to. I, and, I mean, most most therapists these days are what they're what is called eclectic. So most of us pull from multiple modalities while we work. Mm-hmm. Um, but, a lot, but most also... It is helpful to have like one primary modality that you kind of is like your fallback, right? Um, so mine that I I really ascribe to is called person-centered or Rogerian theory, um, which is a very, I don't know, it's kind of a simple principled theory where it's like essentially you're just providing your client with a judgment-free space, um, something called unconditional positive regard. So I don't necessarily have unconditional positive regard for all my clients' choices, but I always have it for my client. So, um, you know, I can look at them as like, hey, I see that this choice might not be healthy for you. Also, I'm not judging you for that. Also, I'm not shaming you for that. Um, And I think that working from that space just allows me to be 
really authentic with my clients and provide them with something that a lot of people don't get, which is just a space to like totally be yourself and not worry about someone judging you, Mm. which is nice. It feels good. (laughs) I, if we can talk about this later and like their like accessibility to therapy, Mm -hmm. but I've been like thinking of finding a therapist again. And I had, I was in therapy. I started going to therapy Mm -hmm. when I was 16. Mm -hmm. My mom passed when I was 15 Mm -hmm. and a month later, I, like, always had an eating disorder, and, like, when she passed, I started delving into some self-harm stuff. Mm -hmm. And so in that month she died, I think I lost, like, 20 pounds, like, in a Mm -hmm. month. And my aunt noticed, and then a couple of my friends noticed, but, like, if you didn't know me, you didn't know my mom died. And I went to – I grew up in a town where, like, we – it was big, but we also, like, knew each other because we all went to one high school. Yeah. Um, so from middle school to high school, like, we were all together, and we had, like, different elementary schools. Anyway, so by the time I got to high school, like, a lot of people knew me, but, like, if you weren't a close friend of mine, you had no idea my mom died. Like, I went to school the day she passed, wow. and then I was in school the next, the day after her funeral. Like, it was just very, like, wow. keep moving. Um, so I think about that. Like, I've ever saw, like, if I go home for holidays, like, I'll still see my first therapist because she's still mm. at the school I worked at. And I loved her. Um, but I think about that of, like, I was lucky enough to grow up in a place that had therapy on site. Like, yeah. was, I could go. I got it. And, like, it, I, it was included in my school schedule. Mm-hmm. So, like, I would miss, like, the last 15 minutes of one class and then the first 15 minutes of another class. Nice. So, like, I wasn't missing full classes. Mm-hmm. But it still allowed me to go during school hours and get that, get that help that I needed. Um, so I think about that, too, of, like, therapy while – beneficial is not accessible to everyone and I also think about like growing up like I grew up in a very religious family and so like as a person who suffers from anxiety and depression it was a lot of the stuff like if you pray it'll go away like that's that's great for you but it's not working for me yeah um and then also like growing up in that sense of like therapy isn't for people of color Mm -hmm. it's a very white thing to go to therapy because it's like where it's like black people have too many struggles to be quote unquote crazy. Like it's just like we have yeah. oppression and all these things that go on. So well, it's and like most that, therapists that are white. Correct. So you're also almost always walking to in a room into a room with someone who doesn't look like you, right? Um, which is a whole other barrier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm currently looking for a therapist who is a person of color or um, is focusing on like LGBTQA stuff. Like mm-hmm. those are the top two. Um, I'm willing to give up the person of color thing if they're LGBTQ person mm-hmm. or um, who delves into that. Um, but, yeah, like, if I'm going to spend this time with someone every week, it's, like, another relationship I'm bringing in. It's, like, I want to feel comfortable. But yeah. I think about that with therapy, too, of, like, I have friends now who who I can tell have been in therapy or have gone to therapy because we're very self-reflective. Mm-hmm. And I've talked about this before. Like, I can be very much, like, I do a lot of self, uh, self like, soul-searching and critique of like I will I say I'm the, I'm the common denominator in all my relationships mm-hmm. so I'm very good about like doing like a lot of like self-realization like okay what am I doing what am I bringing to the situation yeah how can I fix these things and it's like I'll do like a lot of self-blame because I'm also again religion to me <laughs> equates to like having constant guilt yeah. <laughs> so I feel guilty about everything all yeah, the time yeah. um so I'm like really still working through that but like I have friends who are like you did nothing wrong why are you blaming yourself I'm like I just feel like I I'm the common denominator of my problems like mm-hmm. that's not like no that person is awful mm-hmm. but you're gonna blame yourself mm-hmm. versus trying to like to in order to salvage things so I'm also working on that of, yeah like, why well, need a new therapist? <laughs> yeah. Well, I like to say with stuff like that, I like to say many things can be true at once, right? So Ooh, it's true. like 
on the one hand, you're right. Like, you participate in every relationship that you're in. So in some way, you're participating in the, the shitty relationship. Sure. Also, there are shitty people <laughs> out there who are dicks, and it doesn't matter how wonderful you are, the relationship is not going to flourish because they're not a good person yeah. or they haven't done the reflection they need to. Yeah. So I, I like to... I use Both that... can be true. I love that. Yeah, I, I, I use that phrase with my clients a lot. Just, like, many things can be true at once. Like, it's not... It doesn't have to be, like, it's either me or them. We're both in this together, and I can acknowledge the ways that, like, perhaps I'm contributing to this, and also I can see that, like, they're also contributing to it, too, and maybe we're just not right for each other. Yeah. And speaking of accessibility, let's talk about your podcast really Mm -hmm. quickly. But have you considered therapy, which I love. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Love that title. Tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah. So, I mean, it was something that I created. (laughs) Truthfully, I really was just like, I want to do a podcast. (laughs) Everyone does. (laughs) Because I I love podcasts. And yeah. And and I was kind of like, you know, what do I know about? (laughs) Like, what could I talk about? Um, And, you know, it felt like there were already a lot of like Harry Potter and Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcasts out there. So true. Um, But I was like, you know, therapy obviously is something that I know a lot about. And so... Um, you know, we kind of, I, I tooled it around a little bit with like my boyfriend and friends and my eventual producer, Sam, and just kind of like, you know, I really want this to be something that normalizes therapy that really just has, it has people who have either been in therapy or are mental health professionals or most of the time, both, Mm -hmm. um, talking about therapy in like a really just like casual way um, and about how much it helped them, um, about, you know, why they went to therapy, what it's done for them, what they've learned about themselves. Also talking about like the not so great experiences too, right? To know for people to be aware that like, yeah, sometimes you might have a bad therapy experience and that sucks and like it's okay to like take time and recover from that, but don't give up on therapy Um, because there are really good therapists out there who can help you and want to help you. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it's been really fun. I think we just, today was our like 66th episode that we, this week. Yeah. Which is bananas. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Um, and we've had lots of different, really cool topics this week. It's like postpartum depression. Mm. Week before was perinatal therapy. We've talked about perinatal, sorry. Like before birth. Okay. Um, so, like, therapy, like, kind of leading up to sure. getting pregnant, the pregnancy, all oh, that shit. stuff. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we've had people talking about eating disorders. We've had people talking about bipolar disorder, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. We've had just different therapists talking about different things that they treat, different populations they work with. Oh, love it. Um, so, yeah, it's been really fun. I've learned a lot. I mean, it's I've made so many great contacts. I actually joke sometimes, though, that I'm, like, really, like, winnowing the pool of therapists I can, like, choose from now <laughs> in town. Because <laughs> I'm, like, every time I meet one for my podcast, I'm, like, God, they're so amazing, but now I can't be their client because oh, we yeah. have a dual relationship. Um, Struggle. But yeah, it's, you know, it's worth it because they've all been really great. I love that. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good place to take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk about trauma and grief because this is the reason I think a lot of people go to therapy. So we will be right back. And we're back. We're still here with Mel talking about therapy, but we're going to switch gears and talk about trauma and probably lead into a little bit of grief Mm because I feel like 
they kind of some most of the time kind of equate to each other. Yeah. Um, and I feel like a lot of people aren't willing to have that conversation. So, yeah. Yeah. I want to I when we first got together today, I told you my experience with traumas. I I think the first funeral I attended, I was 11 years old. So I've like I'm no stranger to like grief and loss and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I don't think I really understood the heaviness of trauma and grief until I was 24. Now, by the time I was 24, my mother had passed, my grandfather had passed, a couple of aunts and uncles and cousins, um, and then the uh, that Easter of 2014, my really good friend Nick. Uh, passed unexpectedly from an accidental overdose. Mm. And the month before, we had had dinner, and he was like, hey, like, I want to tell you that I relapsed. Um, and I was like, okay, like, what, what do you need? He goes, I'm back in, like, I'm, I'm clean. Mm-hmm. And I remember, say, I can still see his face when I said, like, you cannot die because I do not know what I would do without mm. you. And then a month later, he was gone. Mm. Um, and I hadn't been to a hospital. Uh, my mom passed in 2006. So I hadn't been in the hospital in, like, eight years. And so I got the news that he was in the hospital. Um, he was all hooked up. Like, he was gone. But um, they were, he wanted to be an organ donor, which they, he was able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember going in, like, having, 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 having been in a hospital for, like, eight years. Like, went up, said hi to his parents and his brother. Um, got to, like, talk to him, kiss him goodbye, all that sort of stuff. Um, so that was probably the big one, was 24. And, like, I did not handle that grief really well. Like, yeah. I was at a job that I had a lot of freedom at um and like i went on a bender like mm. it was just like from april until i got a new job in october it was like i would go to work was like a really good worker like I'd go to work get things done but the minute five o'clock hit by five thirty, i was drinking and i would mm. drink till probably like nine yeah like four hours straight mm-hmm. um and then get a get a lift home or get someone to drop me off home and then like go to work the next day like still like being a, essentially a functioning person going through grief, right. using alcohol to numb that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a friend of mine was like, you're going to kill yourself if you do not stop drinking like this. And mm-hmm. I was like, you were correct. And then I got a new job and like things really settled out. But since Nick has passed, um, every year between probably like a, like a week-long situation in May, my body physically like ceases mm-hmm. and like... I think it's a mix of depression and then I've been reading about stuff like your body remembers trauma. And so like my mom passed in February. Um, Then my birthdays in March was always like a real big deal for me. Um, And then my grandfather, then Nick passed in April, Mother's Day is in May. And then my grandfather also passed in May. So like for me, it's like this kind of, it's all like building up together. And so then in May, it's like I get a week of like just my body's just like we cannot do anything. And so mm-hmm. like last week, I was, last year, sorry, I was in bed for a week, but there was two days like I physically could not get out of bed. Mm. So I don't, I don't think people understand like how much trauma and grief can affect you, not only physically and, and emotionally, but mentally, like all these things that kind of compound on each other. Yeah. Um, Cause I think, and we, my friend, I talked about this last week on the episode, Cody, talked about like people give you space to grief like to grieve big relationships mm-hmm. but, like friendships or a friend who passes away but people don't know how close you were so like mm-hmm. it's like you have to validate your feelings for mm-hmm. people a lot of the time when you're grieving um so yeah i just wanted to really talk about like trauma and grief and like how that looks and you know give people space to like kind of hear 
hear about that. Yeah. I mean, thanks for sharing that story, by the way. Um, Grief is such a just, like, nasty, like, scary, like, dark thing. Yeah. And we grieve a lot of stuff. Like, we, can, you can grieve the loss of a job. Yeah. Like, you can grieve, like, the loss of a future, you know? I think a lot of times when a, a relationship ends, like, that's what you're grieving. Yeah. Just as much as grieving the loss of, like, that person. You're yeah. grieving, like, the loss of, like, the life you imagined with what them. could have been. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, we experience grief, I think, more than we really think we do, mm. you know, because um, we think of grief and the word grief, I think people think of like death. Yeah. You know, when someone dies, you grieve. Something really big. You yeah. mourn. Yeah. Right. Um, and yes, that, that is that is true. But we grieve like little losses, too. Um, and grief is always going to look different for different people. You know, some people are going to need to grieve for a very long time. Some people are going to need to grieve for less time. Some people grieve for a little while and then they feel bounced back and then they grieve again, you know. Um, Some people like to incorporate things like ritual or, you know, they want to plant a tree. They want to create um, a shrine. They, You know, that can be cultural, too. And so I think it's so important, A, to recognize that whatever you need to do to grieve that is at least that is not harmful, right? Is okay. Yeah. You know, um, and that you deserve that space and you need that space and it's okay if it doesn't wrap up nice and neatly as quickly as you'd want it to. Um, and the other thing, like you said, is that it's important to give people that space. Um, and I think what happens more than anything, you know, that that feeling that you had that you had to validate, right? Like that you have to validate like your connection, your to connection thing. to someone who you, yeah. you lost. It comes from a place of like, I think when when people sort of break your grief bubble, right? And they want to do the whole like, well, he's in a better place mm-hmm. or, you know, it's been it's been a, a while now. Like you really, you know, yeah. we really want to see you. That's their discomfort yes. with your pain that's like mm-hmm. showing up there. Mm-hmm. That is them not wanting to sit with you in your grief and like be okay with it. Yeah. Um, and so, and we do that a lot. People do that when, when people are in pain in front of them that can feel so hard to yeah. sit with that that's where those sort of like platitude, like, you know, well, you know, tomorrow's a better day. Yeah. Um, you know, that you'll be fine. You'll be okay. Everything's going to be okay. Like that, those kind of words that sometimes reassurance can be helpful, but sometimes what can be actually really healing is somebody just like sitting in the dark with you yeah. and being like, I'm here. I see you. I hear you. I feel you. Like, yeah. Whatever you need to be right now is okay. I'm not going to judge you if you need to cry, if you need to scream, if you need right. to stamp your feet. Like, I'm here for you. Um, I had a friend, probably, I think I was in college, so probably like 2009, 2010. My mom had been gone for maybe three years by then. Math. Yeah. <laughs> um and, like, something big had happened. Like, her and I had a falling apart. And she was like, you're taking your anger and your mom being gone out on me. I'm like, mm. girl, this, that, the, first of all, the, the thing we're arguing about has nothing to do with my mom mm-hmm. passing away. Um, but she's like, but you need to get over it. Like, your mm. mom dying. I'm like, I'm never going to get over the yeah. fact that my mom is gone. Yeah. And I don't, and like you're saying, like, people, 
I think when people say get over something, it's like like you're saying they're very uncomfortable. I was listening to a podcast today, um, and one of the one of their listeners wrote in about like she experienced a lot of trauma between like she was raped and then her dad died mm. soon after. Mm. She was raped, um, and her mom, who was also a therapist, was like, "Yeah, you gotta like just move forward and get over it." And mm. and the the people on the podcast like, "That's your mom being uncomfortable that yeah. she can't help you, she can't sit in this grief with you, she yes. doesn't know your, what you're going through." So I think it's that too. Of like, I don't, I don't think it's where people are coming from a place of trying to negate your sadness. No. I just think you're saying like you're saying it's it's just they're very uncomfortable. They don't know any other way to help you. Right. But I think and people need to be very aware of that. Yeah, no, you're so right. They don't know how to fix it. Right? And the truth is they can't no one can fix that your yeah. mom died. Right. That's not fixable. No. That's just something that happened that sucks and is terrible. And like there isn't fixing it. And so it's but when people feel like they can't fix something they turn defensive, they get angry, they yeah. can get upset, you know, and instead of just being like, yeah, I can't fix this for yeah. you, but I can sit with you. Right. I can look at pictures of your mom with you. Yeah. I can like cook you a nice dinner and like yeah. let you talk about her if that's what you want to do. Because like I was telling you, like when my mom passed, like unless you knew me, you wouldn't have known she passed. Mm-hmm. But like I was I was very stoked. Like I didn't cry at her funeral. Like I was just very much mm-hmm. like I I was her kid and my mom was also very like stoic of like people are depending on me I have to be very serious and I was 15 when she passed away um but my dad was crying and I was like I cannot cry because my dad is crying I need like be here for him right um so I think about it now like there are moments when I'm like recently I was talking to a friend about how I plan on adopting kids Mm -hmm. and there are moments I just sit and I'm like I wonder what she would tell me right now Mm. like that's probably one of the biggest things is like that like you're saying you're gr- I'm grieving what we will never have like I'll never be able to call her but like, hey what was it like like giving birth to me like yeah I've asked my dad because I'm t- trying to do my full natal chart because I'm a nerd <laughs> um, my dad I'm like dad what time was I born he goes somewhere between three and four I'm like my mom would fucking know yeah, the time I was right. born like just things like that of just how my life looks now and like ever every year on her the day that she passed um, I will post something mm-hmm. but it's also really interesting because I believe in the universe and like things aligning um so the day my mom passed three years later my godson was born on that Mm. day and so I kind of hold in the fact of like she kind of like gave him to me on this Mm -hmm. day like it won't it so be a little easier um but I also think about like my mom would have been obsessed with him (laughs) so Mm. it's like a whole thing of like I that thing of like someone passes so someone else can come into the world like very like cathartic like that yeah but as far as, like, like you're saying, like, what are the rituals you do? So, like, on days when, like, the day when she passes, also Marcus's birthday. So, like, it's this very interesting pull of emotion of, like, I'm really sad that she's not here, but I'm also really grateful to have him. Right. So, I think, like, that's been one of the things that's gotten me through. My gosh, she's been gone since, so 14 years now, which is, like, almost, so we're coming up to the point, where, like, I will have been, I, she will have been gone longer than she was my mom, which right. is, I feel like that's going to be a really big thing for me. Yeah. Um, and then, like, also, like, trying to check in on my family on the day that she's gone to. Like, she was the oldest girl of five kids. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, so, like, my grandma and I will call each other. My dad, who and I are, my dad and I are still, like, working on re- rehashing our relationship or what have you. It's like, we talk on her day that she died. Um, which I'm always like anniversary, but that's not the right word. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of a word. Someone come up with a word for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I think of that too. Cause like 
when my mom passed, my dad started dating maybe like a month or two after. But they mm. had been together for so long that I don't think he knew how to be alone. Right. And I didn't really get that till I got older. Of and course. I was like, yeah. Oh, like he just didn't know how lonely he must have yeah. been. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. So we've we've had a lot of conversations around that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think losing my mom taught me how to be a better person. Like I have mm. a lot more patience and kindness and. Uh, appreciation for life mm-hmm. like I've since she's been gone like I know that no day is ever promised right. like the only someone said the only day you had promised is yesterday yeah which I was like shit yeah <laughs> like things I think trauma and going through the grieving process and like losing people or, or suffering a loss of some sort puts a lot of stuff into perspective mm-hmm. um, and I don't and I think let's go back to the, the discomfort thing if people don't know how to use or how to see the growth yeah. in, in grief. And that's been one of the things that I've really been trying to, to use the last, like, couple of years for sure. Absolutely. And the discomfort thing, too, is, like, it's it's okay for someone to be sad, mm-hmm. you know? Like, it's, like, we, there's a lot of people out there, and I certainly used to be one of them. And I still have this tendency from time to time who will, I mean, just the idea of like, no, no, you have to be happy. Like mm-hmm. you've got to, like, I've got to make you happy. You've got to be happy. And if I see an ounce of like sadness creeping out of you, like I have to do something about it. And the reality of it is, and you know, this is kind of what you're talking about with like trauma living in the body. Like if we don't express those feelings, they do literally sit in our body. Yeah. And they, and the thing is that they will get expressed. Just maybe not in a way you have a lot of control over. So they get expressed in things like anger. They get expressed in things like substance abuse. They get expressed in things like self-harm, eating disorders, all this kind of stuff. And so, you know, when you when someone is sad um, and they have every reason to be sad. Right. I mean, there's something to be said for, you know, someone with depressive symptoms or something like we can, you know, we can talk about sort of combating those and recognizing those as like symptoms. Mm -hmm. But when someone is sad because their mom died, like they have every right to be sad and they have, they have every good reason to be sad and it's okay for them to just be sad. And we don't have to come in and ride in on a white horse and make them happy. And in fact, when we do that, when we sort of like force someone into performative happiness, which is actually what happens because you didn't make them happy. Yeah. You just made them feel like they had to be happy to make you comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> um, you you rob them of that opportunity to actually process that feeling and like sit with it and let it kind of like move through their body and be comforted or be, you know, just validated or heard in that moment. Um, and it, it actually does more harm than good to sort of force someone into performing an emotion that makes you more comfortable. Yeah. I have a friend, her, she was actually on the podcast. Um, her dad uh, died by suicide mm. uh, last, almost last year. Mm-hmm. Well, last year, his, that anniversary was coming up soon. Yeah. And the other night we went to dinner and it was right before my mom's death anniversary. Um, and she was like, she started a new job. She was how was it your first year after your mom passed? And I was like, I don't remember it. Like, mm. I was very young. Like, I don't really remember it. Um, I was like, I can tell you what it's been like since. I'm like, it, grief doesn't go away. You just learn to live with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was talking to her. I'm like, your dad's day might come around and you might feel 
it's like fine. It might come and you might have a full day of crying. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, but whatever you feel, it is okay. Like mm-hmm. I want it, cause, and I told her that because I feel like no one ever told me that. Yeah, like it is okay, no matter how you respond to this day. Like you don't need to warn anyone. You don't need to do. You know, you don't know. You don't owe anyone whatever your reaction is. Right. Because she was going to take the day off. And I was like, if you think, like, if that's what you feel like you need to do, I totally support that. Yeah. I'm like, but if you feel like you want to go and try to work through the day, go through that. I'm like, you, I'm like, it, I'm like, it affects us all differently. Grief is, it ebbs and flows. Um, but I think about that too, like, how differently, like, we could lose the same person and have the same sort of relationship with them, but we're going to have different reactions to Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I just I think about that too. Like, you, there are so many different ways to grief, to grieve. Um, and, and, you know, over time, how it affects us gets a lot different. Definitely. I mean, I have clients who grieve, like, who have the extremely complicated process of grieving, like, an estranged parent. Mm-hmm. You know, someone that they had a very bad relationship with who was, like, abusive. Right. And, like, that's a whole other really complex thing because they are still sad, yeah. you know, in many cases. They are still feeling that grief also mingled with like relief sometimes you know yeah. i i worked with someone at um at a local nonprofit i'm going to kind of keep the details sure. really vague to protect some confidentiality but um she experienced abuse physical abuse from her partner um and then he killed himself mm. and she came to me and said i feel so bad that i don't care that he's dead I feel so bad because he was my husband and I loved him, but I'm so glad he's dead. And I was just like, yeah, dude. Yeah, that's fine. Like, it is okay to feel that way. And it's okay if tomorrow you don't feel that way. It's okay if you wake up tomorrow and you feel really sad and really bad about it. That's fine. It's complicated. There is no, like, formula to what this is supposed to feel like. Oh, that's, yeah, no formula. No. Like, your grief... I, I found there's growth in grief. Like, Absolutely. There's okay. growth. I mean, there's growth in any pain, right? Like, yeah. it's, you know, and, but, but you have to be able to like live in that pain. Yeah. Um, if that pain gets taken away from you for whatever reason, or again, more likely it's not actually taken away from you, but you start to feel like you cannot express that you're in pain. Yeah. That's when it just settles down, you know, somewhere in your gut, somewhere in your chest. I mean, somewhere in your limbs and like lives there and comes out when you least expect it. Yeah, I thinking about it now, like when I get really anxious, my back seizes up really badly. Like heart will stop, back seizes up and I'm just like, oh, this is like full body anxiety. And so I think about that too. Like there's different ways that all that trauma is going to hold in your body Mm -hmm. and it's like... I'm a big believer in, like, listening to your body, mm-hmm. and that's everything. Like, the way that things affect us physically is a really big indicator on, like, when you need to start doing some checking. So I think everyone is so busy these days, mm-hmm. and no one really takes the time to just, like, sit with themselves, like, do, like, a self-check-in, mm-hmm. which, I mean, I'm very guilty of. I've been, like, going nonstop lately. But, <laughs> um, like, there's a last year I had, like, a really good meditative practice. I do it every day for, like, 20 minutes in the morning. I would get up early. It was beautiful. This year it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> but I I feel that now of, like, I'm not giving my body a chance to just be. Like, yeah. the, the podcast I sent you with Jada, she's like, just yeah. sit in stillness. And yeah. I'm like. Just be with yourself. Just be with yourself in yeah. stillness with or without any sound behind it. Just, like, 
I f- want that for everyone right now. Like yeah. even if it's just like once a once a week, just taking a minute, like five minutes. Everyone has five minutes mm-hmm. to just like sit right before bed, right when you wake up, to just sit, get off your phone, <laughs> sit and just be in stillness. Yeah. And I think about that too, like as a person, I grew up very religious and now I've been like trying to figure out what my religious trajectory is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did a lot of like, almost like Buddhist practice of like just self-realization and sitting and mantras and all that sort of stuff. And that was really beautiful for me. And it's just, it gave me permission to not know. And I feel like that's a really big thing right now with trauma. Like it is okay not to know how to support someone, not to know how you should feel Mm -hmm. um, to your client of like not, feeling anything Mm -hmm. or like being relieved Mm -hmm. Um, because I mean I was talking to a friend the other day too who has a similar thing of like their old partner was abusive and then they also died by suicide and their partner was like we weren't together anymore but like I don't know how I feel about them being gone and I was like valid 100% valid absolutely you know and anybody anything so yeah Oh, I think I would take a nap. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe this is why I'm like therapy. Is I so know. Emotional and exhausting and it beautiful. Is. And yeah. All I think, those things. I think that's a great place to take a break. And then we'll come back and talk about the quote you just told me that has me like on the edge of my seat and questioning <laughs> my whole life. We'll be right back. <laughs> And we're back, still here with Mel, talking about therapy and all that good stuff. And now, this quote that Mel said to me <laughs> earlier that I, I am not over this. And I don't know why it's, like, getting me so badly. Yes. Will you please share with the class yes. what, what has me all kerfuffle? <laughs> so what I told Brie earlier is something that I believe, um, which is that all behavior is intentional. <laughs> and... Even, you said even when you don't mean even, it to be. Yeah, even when you don't mean it to be. And and basically what I mean by that is everything we do, we are doing to meet a need, right? Like you just picked up your little water jug. Mm-hmm. You took a sip because you were thirsty. That was in order to meet a need. That's mm-hmm. like a very obvious direct. Right. But even the stuff that we do that doesn't really serve us or creates conflict or um, just is not maybe the most helpful is still stuff that we are doing to try to meet a need. Um, And so when we're kids, we are thrown into this world. (laughs) We're babies and then we're toddlers and then we're kids. And all that time we are learning about how to get our needs met. Mm. So, you know, when a baby cries, it's asking for its parent to attend to it in some way. Um, Maybe it needs its diaper changed. Maybe it needs a bottle, whatever. And so a baby will cry until you get it right. Right. When a baby cries and it's not attended to by its parent, it starts to learn that this is not the way I get this need met. Hmm. And then it starts trying other stuff. So it might throw a toy, it might bang on the table, it might, you know, laugh, who knows? Like it might just start doing things, trying to get this need met. 
And we're sort of always doing that. Like as we grow up and even into adulthood, we are like trying different things to meet our needs. And what happens is that probably for most of us when we were kids, at some point, we created a sort of like maladaptive way to get a need met. And, you know, the most, I feel like a really common example of this is when people sort of talk about like, badly behaved kids just wanting attention, mm-hmm. right? Which, yes, they, that's exactly what they want mm. is your attention because they're a child and yeah. they want your attention and that's okay. Um, but they have learned that being like sweet or gentle or kind or um, conscientious or doing well in their homework is not what gets them attention, mm. right? What gets them attention is failing their failing their homework, yelling, making a mess. That's when people attend to them. Sure. And even though the attention that they get is quote-unquote negative probably, right? Someone's yelling at them. Mm-hmm. Someone's scolding them. Attention. Someone's paying attention yeah. to them. And so we go through our whole life doing the best that we can to get our needs met. Um And when we're kids, we don't have, you know, our frontal lobes aren't fully developed. Like we don't. Your brain's not done cooking till 25. Definitely. Yeah. Not even close to done cooking. You know, you don't have like the resources of things like therapy or books or anything to help you out. So you do the best you can. And kids figure out these ways to get their needs met that work within their worlds. And then a lot of times those habits follow us into adulthood and we never really unlearn them. Mm. But the problem is now we're in a situation where we're an adult interacting with other adults and that method is no longer appropriate, Right. right? Having a tantrum is no longer appropriate. But how many of us have seen an adult have a legit tantrum? I don't know if you follow our president on Twitter, but you can see it every day. I'm sorry. Y'all's president. <laughs> right. Oh, Michelle the, Obama is still my president. That's right. So sorry. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we yeah. like we see adults throw tantrums because that is like what they that's yeah. how they feel like they best get their needs met. Yeah. And so I think of like I as a person who dates all genders, mm-hmm. I have dated people who use like crying as a way to get things. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm a Pisces, so I'm very emotional. <laughs> so it's the thing like we talked about before of like giving that person space to cry. But like, are you really sad? Or are you doing it because you're, yes. you're, that's what you learned growing up is like, if I cry, I always got my way. It can be manipulative. And I'm just like, ugh. Yeah. Like that, that's been a really big thing for me lately of like, how do people, there's a lot of people, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of my friends right now are dealing with people who are using emotions to be very manipulative. Mm-hmm. And so that's what really triggered me today is like all behavior is intentional. And I don't think a lot of people sit and realize like it could be very manipulative and very like to your detriment, allowing people to emotionally destroy you. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like if you let's imagine you're in a relationship with someone and they do something you don't like and you come and you tell them like, hey, when you did that thing, I really didn't Mm. like you. And they go, why are you being so mean to me? That's that's manipulative. But that is 
meeting the need of not wanting to feel accountable, right? right? Like, Mm -hmm. not because being accountable is scary. Being accountable means having to, like, look inward and face yourself and be introspective and be self-critical. And for a lot of people, that is, like, way too scary. So the need is, I don't want to be held accountable for this. Let me turn this back around and make them now feel like they're the person who is creating the problem here by just setting, like, a really reasonable boundary. Um... So, yeah, I mean, it's and and so a lot of the work I do with people in therapy is just thinking about like, hey, here is a pattern in your life. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's like therapy is so great with patterns because it's just like patterns to me, like maladaptive patterns. Right. Good patterns are great. You know, like sorry, what is maladaptive for those who don't? Oh, maladaptive is just something that's like basically like not doing the thing you want it to do. Got it. So, like a like a good pattern is like every time I get a job, I get promoted. Got Great. It. We don't really need to analyze that pattern. It's it's working for yeah. you. It's fine. Um, but every let's say someone comes in every relationship I come I get into, someone cheats on me. Mm-hmm. It's like okay, let's look at that, mm-hmm. right? Like because that's a pattern, yeah. and patterns often are indicative of sort of like old wounds. <laughs> yep. I feel triggered right now thinking yeah. about some things. Yeah. Yeah. So we have maybe a need that we didn't get met when we were a kid, mm-hmm. when we were younger, whatever. And and I mean, we can go. There's so many different arms right. of this. Um, but like we have been trying to fulfill that need mm-hmm. for our whole lives, but we've been doing it the same way every time. Mm-hmm. expecting a different result. Uh-huh. And the result never changes. And so in therapy... <laughs> I'm not okay. <laughs> in therapy, what we do is like, let's try something else. Yeah. Like, let's just try a different approach and yeah. see what happens, right? Yeah. Um, because yeah. it's not effective. I used to be a person who would date people who either were in open relationships, because mm-hmm. I know that's not something I wanted, but I was like... We'll, we'll get back there. Yeah. <laughs> or would date people who were, like, emotionally unavailable. Mm-hmm. And for me, growing up, like, having abandonment issues, my mom passing, and then my dad and I not talking for, like, seven years, I got really good of, like, I want someone in my life, but I want an easy escape route. Mm. So I, real through therapy, I have realized that my pattern was dating people who weren't where I needed them to be because I needed something, quote, unquote, safe. Yep. So it's like, I'm never going to fall head over heels with these people because I already know that already my, safe, the door. my safety net right now is yeah. they, I'm expecting them to fuck up. Yeah. And I could be like, listen, we're just in, we're not in the same place where we need to be. And I could just be like, out. Right. But like my physical needs were met mm-hmm. and like if I wanted to do something my social needs were met mm-hmm. but like my emotional like I want someone to love me needs weren't met but yeah. I feel like it was very surface level of like I would I dated someone who was in an open relationship knowing good and well I didn't I wasn't okay with being in an open relationship I mean to each their own but for me it's not something I need mm-hmm. um or dating a lot of people who were emotionally unavailable because I was like I'm a very emotional person but I don't want to invest my emotions in someone who I know is going to leave. Mm. But I never gave them a chance to not leave. Like in right. my brain, you're already like, you're already leaving. And that's that's because right. that's what my learned behavior was of like my needs of having parents who were always there was never met. Right. 
And so I was like, I need this, but I don't know how to get that. And so I'm like, I'm going to do this. This is what therapy will do to you people. You'll realize some shit about yourself. <laughs> it's so good. Um, so I think about that, too. Like, now I'm trying to date a lot differently, which I think I have been in, like, the last year mm-hmm. or so. Um, but, yeah, like, that. that's what I think got me. Was like, all behavior is intentional because there's a need that needs to be met. And yeah. I was like, <sighs> I, felt, I felt very seen. Yeah. <laughs> and also very... <laughs> called out so. <laughs> that, that's like that's like the therapy motto yeah feel seen and called out um yeah i mean and it's it's like it's so important to like see those things yeah. right because that's the only way that you can change them i'm trying um, yeah and i mean a lot of times i ask my clients i'm like do you want this to change yeah right because like maybe you don't which is okay mm-hmm. right now we don't have to like work on changing something that because like for you in that situation, there might have been a time in your life where you're like, no, this feels safe. This is the only thing that feels safe. And I'm not doing the it was, whole... It was also very, like, a control thing. Yeah. Like, I knew that I would not allow myself to be overly emotionally invested in them. Right. I'm not going to get heartbroken. I'm I don't a, have to be I'm vulnerable. <clears throat> I'm really good at running. Uh-huh. And I think it's because, like, I've never... And it's interesting because, like, in the rest part of my life, like, professionally, um, socially, like, all the things I do in the community and outward facing, like... I'm real good at, like, building relationships and letting people in, mm-hmm. but I just can't do it emotionally, like, romantically, because, like, I, while, while my parents, yes, they were married and very much in love, like, I didn't get the chance to see them grow up mm-hmm. in, together, like, grow up and be old and all that stuff, so, mm-hmm. like, well, I was saying something the other day, oh, with me, like, wanting to adopt, like, I've always seen myself as a mother, but I've never seen myself as someone's spouse, Mm. And so I'm really trying to focus, like, deep, deep down and think about what that is like. I was like, oh, because, like, I always knew I wanted to be a mom, but I knew I could be a mom in any way I wanted to be a mom, whether mm-hmm. adoption or uh, in vitro or what have you. Like, I had options to be a mom, but I never, I had never felt like I would let someone in romantically. Right. So I was dating partners in the past. And I think I mentioned this before. Like I was dating with the attention of finding someone to parent with. Yeah. Not someone to be in partnership with. Right. And so this year is like a real big realization. You know, I'm like, okay. So now that I know that I will be a mom regardless because I was really afraid of being a single mom. So what if something happened to me? Blah, blah, blah. So now like I've moved past that and really focusing now on like, how am I being intentional, which is my word of the year, which is also why I feel attacked in <laughs> How am I being intentional in my dating life? And yeah. Like, I'm trying to be more bold about, like, asking people out on dates mm-hmm. when I'm interested. And so I'm like, you will never be happy if you don't allow yourself to be happy. Absolutely. You have to be intentional about letting things happen to you. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Here we are. No, I mean, I had, I had such a, a funny revolution once with a therapist that felt really small, but it was actually, like, kind of, like pivotal for me with Mm -hmm. dating um this was like four years ago um I was talking to her and I was like you know I keep having this this pattern (laughs) I probably didn't use the word pattern at the time (laughs) but I think she used it um where you know I was like I go out with somebody we have a great first date it's awesome and then they either ghost me or we go out on like one more date but then it's like over and I'm like I don't know what's going on like I think we're having the most this like great first date like it seems so fun and she asked me, she's like, are you drinking on these dates? And I was like, duh. Yes, obviously, that's what you do on a first date. Yeah. And she was like, girl, anyone seems cool when you're drunk. And I was like, what? 
I'm screaming on the inside right yeah. now. Yeah, she was literally oh, like, shit. she was like, stop drinking on your first dates. She's like, you have no idea what these guys are even like. You're just drunk and they seem hot and you're like making out with them and it seems like a great date and it's just like, could be anybody. And it blew my mind. I'm yeah. <laughs> it blew my mind. I was just like, because she was totally right. Like, yeah. I was getting legitimately drunk on the dates. It wasn't like I was having a, you know, a drink or two. Like, yeah. I was, because it was like, I was nervous. It, you know, it's dating culture, whatever. Yeah. And I was like, you're right. Like, are any of these guys actually, like, cool at all? Yeah. Like, or am I just drunk? And they're, like, good looking. Yeah. And that's literally where it ends. Um, and so after that, I started, you know, at least limiting myself to like one drink, like one beer or just meeting people for like coffee and stuff. And it really changed the way I dated because I was actually able to get like a really good idea of, you know, this is a person who I actually have real chemistry with or I don't yeah. or, you know, I was had my wits more about me so I could ask actual questions about like things that mattered versus yeah. just being like, do you want to go sit in the corner and like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and it really, it it was incredible. And it was Changes. just like this this funny yeah. little change that like I never would have thought of if I wasn't in therapy. But she was just like, try it. See what happens. And it was the same thing. It was just like, try it and see what happens, right? Yeah. If nothing changes, go back to drinking. Who cares? Right. But like, try it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bree's deeply regretting having me on the no, podcast I'm today. No, I'm loving it. <laughs> just so much. Just so much. I could talk forever about this. I know. It's just, I just... I'm really into personal growth and mm-hmm. improvement. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because, again, like, I know life is too short. It's like I want to be the best version of myself I can possibly be. I always tell people, like, I'm trying to be the best version of me while doing the least amount of harm possible. Because yeah. <laughs> therapy is expensive. Yeah. So I'm trying not to send other people to therapy. Yes. Um, so that's it's just, like, uh, people who get it and the importance of it. And yeah. just how crazy, how just... Things. Yeah. I'm like speechless right now. No, I know. Devilon, my boyfriend, has this idea for um, like a dating app that's like only people who've been to therapy can I be on it. it. <laughs> I think it's a great idea. I love it. Honest, sign me up. Yeah. I'll get, do a Kickstarter. I'm right. in. Yeah. I'll donate. <laughs> I'll be an investor. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, uh, all things are intentional. Mm-hmm. Well, now that you've blown my mind, I feel like that's a great place to stop. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being here. Is there anything else you want to plug? We talked about your podcast. Um, anything else you want to talk about? Um, oh, I want to plug Autonomy Movement. Oh, yeah. Um, it's this really cool place I work there. It's um, it's a gym in North Austin, and it is Austin's first anti-diet, scale-free, body no positive, no mirrors, um, inclusive gym space. And it's really it's a place where the entire focus of it is – getting people comfortable with moving their bodies, um, making exercise feel like it is for everyone, not just for people who are already like really fit or really thin, um, although fit and thin bodies are welcome there too. Um, and it's most of the staff is our mental health professionals, <laughs> which is really cool, including like a lot of the fitness instructors. Um, so you have a lot of people who are who just really care about the well-being of um, the clients and the people who are taking the classes. And it really shows. Um, so check it out. Autonomy Movement. We have some um, really cool little um, I think it's like two weeks for thirty dollars right now. Um I do a body positive meditation there, although we're actually 
switching that up and I think we're going to change it from a class to a workshop. So, but they have lots of events there all the time. So yeah, autonomymovement.com, check it out. Um, you know, come, come in and take a class. And, um, I think a, a lot of people could really benefit from, from that space. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's it. And then each show I ask my guest one final question. Mm-hmm. What is the best advice you were ever given or what's a piece of advice you would give to your younger self? I think, I think a piece of advice I would give to my younger self is that's not your shit. And what I mean by that (laughs) is I, for a long time, and again, still sometimes because I'm a work in progress, um, I used to get really wrapped up in people's reactions to me, to things I would say, to hypothetical things I might say. Mm. Um, and it it made me into a person who was very, very afraid to ever really rock the boat, speak their needs. You know, I was just kind of always sort of like, no, 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 I'm easygoing, whatever. Mm. I'm, I'm chill. Don't worry about me. Um, and I, and it was because I was so worried about the reactions that people might have yeah. to me stating my needs. And as I've gotten older, I just am like, that's not my shit. Like whatever weird reaction somebody has to me, that's not my shit. I don't have to, I don't have to account for that. Yeah. I don't have to deal with it. And, you know, if I make a reasonable request of someone and they scream at me, like that doesn't have anything to do with me that has doesn't mean anything about me and yeah it sucks to get screamed at but I can also kind of go along my way and feel like like I don't know what that was but it wasn't my shit I love that yeah (laughs) my uh godfather's a pastor he always says that's their stuff yeah exactly it's like the pg version of that yes (laughs) yeah it's absolutely true it's just like other people's other people's stuff that they haven't worked out yet like is not your thing that you need to manage. Mm. You don't need to manage other people. Um, And I have all the patience in the world for people who are struggling and who are like getting help and in therapy. Um, And I can be really compassionate and really patient and also not take that stuff on. Yeah. Right. Um, I can, I can like look at someone and say like, I can tell that you're struggling right now. Also, don't talk to me like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of how that goes. I had, I'm going to just it. end with a very quick little anecdote. Sure. This one time <laughs> I, I used to work at a daycare when I was in grad school. And this one time I answer the phone and this mom just like <laughs> just laid into me about something that had literally nothing to do with me. It had happened at like 10 a.m. I came on at like three and she's just on and on and on and so mad and so mad and you guys and this and that. And when she finally kind of paused and took a breath, I just said, man, it sounds like you're having a really hard day. And she just went, you know, you're right. I am. And I'm sorry. And none of that is your fault. And I just wanted you to know that I was upset. And I was like, yeah, noted. You're upset. She's like, okay, thank you. And hung up. And it was like, if I had taken on, like, all of her yeah. yelling, right, like, I could have been nasty back to right. her. I could have yelled back at her. I could have been legitimately, like, really hurt or upset by it. But I was able to just be like, dude, this has nothing to do with me. She's just having a really bad day. And, like, maybe if I listen to her for a minute, she'll, like, be cool. And she yeah. was. And it was fine. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Highly recommend it. Well, I'll be sure to link all the things in the show notes. Yes. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. 
And that's it for this week's episode of The Tea with Brie. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Tea with Brie. Send me an email at theteawithbrie at gmail.com and visit the website, theteawithbreepodcast.com. If you would like to be a guest on this podcast, please visit theteawithbreepodcast.com. And then in the upper right-hand corner, you can click Be a Guest, because I would love to have anybody and everybody on. Um, Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Send it to a friend who might enjoy this. And this episode was recorded at Capitol Factory in downtown Austin, Texas. And a special thanks to Mama Duke for our theme music. And I will talk to you all next week. Goodbye. Bye.